Okay. Well, we're continuing our series in the Gospel of John. And um, this morning we come to the third in this series, which I've called A Voice Crying in the Wilderness. And uh, I guess you've already figured out that we're talking about John the Baptist this morning and how he fits into the ministry and the life of Jesus. Because I believe we can learn something really tremendous from John the Baptist regarding ourselves this morning. So a voice crying in the wilderness. We're going to be looking at chapter 1, verses 19 through to 35, or 34, I should say. And uh, we'll look at that in two parts. So here's the first part. Now this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you? And he answered, Who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the ways of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees. And they asked him, saying then, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Beth Arbor, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. So you can imagine that John caused quite a stir. He was an unusual character. Um, his lifestyle was totally radical. And the Bible says he dressed himself in camel's hair. He fed on locusts and wild honey. And uh, he must have looked like a wild man. In fact, he looked so wild that his enemies said he's demon-possessed. That's how different he was. And um, he went out into the wilderness on the other side of the River Jordan and he just preached and multitudes went out to hear him. Multitudes left the city of Jerusalem and flocked to hear this man. Not only that, but they were baptized by him as well. Now this caused such a stir amongst the religious people that they sent this delegation to not only try to observe what was happening, but even interrogate him, ask him questions, get some answers from him. And, and, and there were a couple of things that um, they were concerned about. One was, why was he baptizing people? Uh, probably John's baptism was like that of a proselyte baptism. See, if a Gentile wanted to become a Jew, three things usually took place. Number one, the first thing is they would have to renounce their sinful lifestyle. Number two, they would be baptized by full immersion. And number three, 
they would be given a new set of clothes which, which, which kind of um, sent a message that now they were embracing the law and the way of the law. Now, John was baptizing in, in a way that a proselyte was baptized, but the novelty in this case was that this was applied to the Jews. Uh, you, can, you can imagine it's just a little bit like um, those that have been uh, brought up in a, in a mainline church. Often they're baptized as babies, as infants. But then later on, if they, they hear the gospel and believe themselves and find themselves in an evangelical church like ours, for example, we would teach them that they need to get baptized because baptism always follows faith. You see, it doesn't precede faith. It's a believer's baptism. And, and so we would baptize them, even if they were baptized as babies. And that, that might cause some concern amongst those in the mainline churches. Well, it was even more of a problem that John was baptizing Jews. It's like the lead, leaders, the religious leaders were saying, what are you doing? You know, these are already amongst the Jewish community. We're, we're taking care of them. We'll look after them. You know, they're our responsibility. You don't need to baptize them. So that was a problem. And then the next thing is what was John teaching that caused so many people to come out and hear him and, and end up getting baptized? What was he teaching? Why the big crowd? They were always concerned about big crowds for two reasons. Number one is they didn't want to get the Romans too upset so that they would come down and, and you know, cause problems. But number two, they, uh, they didn't like other people in big crowds following someone else, not themselves. See, the mindset of the Jews was everything happens in the temple, or if you're not in Jerusalem, it happens in the synagogue. But here was John, he'd gone out into the wilderness and people were flocking to hear him. John was what we could call a non-conformist. And, and the church often rejects what doesn't fit into the system, okay? So they're asking, where did you get that authority? We're going to come to the next question in a minute. Who are you? Where did you get this authority from? You, you're not one of us. You haven't been brought up either by the Pharisees or the Sadducees. You didn't sit at the feet of a rabbi. You didn't belong to any rabbinical school. You don't have any uh, letters to show to us to say that you are qualified, that you've studied. Where did you get this authority from? What are you doing? That's what they were asking. Now, on the one hand, if we can just apply that to ourselves, we're not called to be rebels, okay, or divisive. We're not called, called to stir up trouble in, in the church. But on the other hand, our ministry is from God. And it's to him that we must give account for our ministry, okay? So they asked, who are you? Who are you? And he immediately said, I am not the Messiah. They said, are you Elijah? He said, I'm not Elijah. Are you the prophet, the prophet that Moses said would come, uh, you know, in the book of Deuteronomy. And he said, no, I'm not. Now, notice very carefully what he said. They said, who are you? They didn't say, are you the Messiah? But he said, I am not the Messiah. I am not the Messiah. You, you, could, you could be mistaken to think he was because of this incredible, he was, he was a phenomenon. All these people were flocking to hear. He was preaching, he was baptizing, and, and people would, would be pardoned for saying, this is the Messiah. 
And he could have had a great following after him. But this is what we learn from John. We learn a, a tremendous thing, a, a balance about the way we need to see ourselves and the way we minister because we all have a ministry. Okay? And that's what we're learning today from John. Who are you? He said, I am not the Messiah. Okay, don't get your eyes on me. I'm not the one. I'm come to point you to the one, to show you the one, to preach about the one, to lift him up. He must increase, I must decrease. That's the first thing we, we learn. In ministry, we're not there to build a name for ourselves. We're not there to big note ourselves. It's not about us. And it's funny because a lot of people say it's not about me, but then they go on about themselves <laughs> and they broadcast themselves and they parade themselves and so on. But it's not about us. So they said, well, then if you're not the Messiah, if you're not Elijah, if you're not a prophet, who are you? And this is what he replied. I am a voice crying in the wilderness. Now, the more I studied this, the more I thought, that's it. That sums up you and I today. A voice crying in the wilderness. Amen. Now, Jesus, as John has already said in this chapter, we've looked at it over the last two sessions, is the Word, the Logos. Amen. Everything that God is in the mind and the purpose of God was expressed through the Word. God said, let there be, and the Word brought it into being. Amen? And so Jesus, the Logos, expresses the total will and purpose and mind of God. Jesus is the Word. But we are a voice through which the Word is proclaimed. You see? We are a voice through which the Word is... You know, if I, if I could say one thing to many preachers that are coming up today, I'd say, listen, you are a voice, not an echo. You're not an echo of someone else. There are a lot of preachers today that are just observing successful ministries and trying to mimic them, trying to copy them, cut and paste sort of thing, you know? Um, talk like them, preach their sermons, dress like them, and so on. Friends, you are a voice. You are unique. This is the wonder of God's creation. Robert's just been talking about the, the incredible you know, creation of God, the stars, and the diversity. We are diverse. Every one of us is different. Every, and God will pour himself through each one of us that through us might come the particular color personality, person that we are as the word comes through us. This is echoing a bit, David. As the word comes through us. Amen. So don't try to be someone else. When God made, for example, Joseph Prince, he destroyed the mold. He only has one. He only wants one. Amen. When God created John MacArthur, he destroyed the mold. We, we're not called to copy someone else or to be someone else, but to be who he has created us to be and so that he can pour, the word can be poured through us as a voice speaking in our way. Amen? Not trying to mimic someone else, not a clone of someone else, but who we are. Enjoy being who you are. Don't think you've got to copy or compete with someone else. God wants the you. He created you as you are, the unique you. 
See, so there's two dangers. Number one is some people can think it's all about me, it's about my ministry, about my message. No, we're just the voice proclaiming the message. But secondly, we can say, well, we're no one. No, that's wrong as well. You are someone that God has created that he is going to take up and use and pour himself through you to this world. That's what we learn from John the Baptist. I am a voice crying in the wilderness to prepare the way for the Messiah. Now remember, the Pharisees sent the priests and Levites to ask him, who are you? If they knew the scriptures, they would have known who he was. If they knew Isaiah, if they knew Malachi, they would have known who Jesus is. They would have understood. But they didn't. He said, I'm the voice that's come to prepare the way. Now, when a king came to a city, they knew he was coming ahead of time. They would send people out to clear the road, to prepare the way. There were rocks or obstacles in the way. If the road needed to be repaired, they would prepare the way for the king. He said, that's what I'm here for. I'm here to prepare people for the king. I'm here to prepare people for the Lord Jesus Christ. And if there are obstacles in their way, let's look at those obstacles. Let's try to remove them. If people have problems that are holding them back to seeing the king, let's deal with the problems. Let's get them out of the way so that they can receive the king into their lives. Another thing he said, he said, I'm not worthy to loosen the sandal strap of Jesus. Now, there's a tradition that... Um, if a Jew had a servant, he could ask that servant to do anything for him except one thing. He could not ask him to loosen his shoes. That's something you do yourself. You don't ask a servant to stoop that low to get down and, un, you know, you can undo your shoes. But John said there is such a gap between me and Jesus, right? There's such a gap between me and Jesus that even if it was lawful for him to, you know, my master to ask me to loosen his shoes, I would be unworthy. I'd be unworthy to do so. What humility that is. And, and, and John actually um, is an object lesson in humility. He shows us what true humility is. See, humility is not saying I'm nothing. Don't ever say that. God never says you're nothing. Never says that. Amen? You've been created in His image. Amen? You've been created for His glory. Hallelujah. You're the righteousness of God in Christ. You're a son of God. You're a king. You're a priest. Don't ever say you're nothing. But when it comes to, to revealing Jesus, here's the balance that John shows us. Shows us what true humility is. See, Jesus is the light. But look what Jesus said in chapter 5 about John. John was a lamp that burned and gave light. The lamp doesn't give light. The lamp contains the oil through which the light may be given. And the Bible says we have this treasure in earthen vessels. God has poured himself into us. We are partakers of the divine nature so that through us, the glory of God might be seen. And we, we always say, it's not us, it's not, it's not 
We just sang that song, Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me. That's our theme. That's our song. That's our message. I am what I am by the grace of God. Jesus was the Word, as we've already said, but John was a voice testifying to the Word. Now, voice is heard, not seen. Amen? Also, the Word endures when the voice is silent. See, John gave a tremendous message, which we're going to look at in just a moment. And John has been dead for 2,000 years. But the message lives on. We're going to look at that message. He's speaking to us today, even though he's passed on. See, if our message is Jesus, the voice will continue to speak for generations to come. I think of a great preacher like Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite preachers of church history, just such a, had a wonderful Christ-centered ministry. And, and you know, he's, he's been dead, I think, for 200 years now. But there are books of sermons that he gave which speak to this generation today because it's all about Jesus. The Word, by the grace of God, is never silent. So may God keep us from claiming to be anything more than what we really are. Paul referred to himself as less than the least of all saints. We don't have to build ourselves up and compete with one another and try to be better than one another and, and you know, kind of make that kind of comparison. Just accept the fact that I am what I am by the grace of God and, and God takes me in my weakness and my lowliness. He will take me and he will use me for his glory. He will use you today for your glory. He will use you this week for his glory. Jesus says, so likewise, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what our duty was to do. That's all that we need to do is to do what he tells us to do. If he says, go here, we go here. If he says, speak to this person, we speak to this person. If he says, help this person, we help this person. And his glory shines through us. Praise God. But he wasn't just a voice. He was a voice, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, not the temple. This is an important point at this juncture in the Bible. He was a voice of one crying in the wilderness, not in the temple. Why? Because at this point, God was now outside of organized religion. See, there was a new temple. Jesus. He said, you destroyed this temple and in three days I will raise it again. This is the temple. Now, this is where God dwells. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. God was not in that temple. It was cold. It was dead. It was empty. Why? Because Jesus was not allowed there. We saw that in the first session. He came to his own, but his own received him not. They rejected Jesus. He was not in the temple. So if he was not in the temple, God was not in the temple. Jesus was now the temple. And we find that um, in the next generation, the writer of the Hebrews had to say this to the Jewish people. He's not in your sacrifices. He's not in your temple. He's not in your priesthood. That's obsolete now. That's been surpassed. Their shadows, the, the substance has come, the reality has come. And this is what he says to them in the last chapter. We, this is believers in Christ, have an altar 
from which those who serve the tabernacle, Jewish tabernacle, have no right to eat. You, you, you're either in one or you're in the other. That's what he's saying. If you serve at that tabernacle, you've got no right to partake of Christ. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. just want to comment on that phrase. I've commented on this before, but I want to bring it back. Burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate, the gate of the city. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. Now, the Jewish people understood that phrase very well, outside the camp. What does it mean? God, when he called Israel out of Egypt, as they journeyed through the wilderness, they had to set up camp every time they stopped at a certain place. And there was a certain way that the tribes were to be set. And right in the middle was the tabernacle. That's where God dwelt in the midst of his people. It was holy. The camp was holy because God was in the midst. So anything that was unclean had to be taken outside the camp, okay? Uh, for example, uh, if somebody had uh, an issue of blood, an emission, uh, 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 any kind of bodily emission, they had to go outside the camp until they were ceremonially cleansed and then brought back. If they had leprosy, the leper had to be taken outside the camp because he was unclean. Um, you know, if, if um, there were any other kinds of, of, of uncleanness in a person, if somebody died, if an, if an animal died, they had to be taken outside the camp. If a person died, they had to be taken outside the camp. If somebody touched the dead, they were unclean, they had to be taken outside the camp. God was communicating there is holy and there is unholy. Where God is, is holy. And, and so therefore, anything that is unholy has to be taken outside the camp. And there are many other examples of that. Now, there's a situation where that was reversed. And it was a situation which we call apostasy. You've heard that word before, and we'll look at what that means in just a moment. Apostasy. What, 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 what happened? When God was giving the law to Moses up in the mount, Mount Sinai, the people were at the foot of the mountain breaking the law. You remember that he'd gone away for so long, they probably said nobody can live with that long without food and drink, he's dead. So they, they formed new gods out of all the earrings and the gold jewelry and everything. They melted it all down. They fashioned a god and said, this is the god that brought you out of Egypt. Isn't that crazy? Like, I mean, just how stupid is that? We've created this thing, but this brought us out of Egypt not God, you know, he's, he, he doesn't exist. And so they fell down, they worshipped that, they probably even undressed and everything, it was just, there was total apostasy. And, and so what happened when, when Moses came down, he saw this, he was angry, he took his own tent outside the camp because now the situation was reversed, the camp was unclean and God went outside the camp. And those that wanted to really come back to God had to come outside the camp to come back to God. Can you see the picture? Now, this is what the writer to 
the Hebrews is saying is the camp of Judaism, it's unclean. It's unclean, it's defiled. So we must come outside the camp. Why? Because Judaism rejected Jesus. And Jesus was crucified outside the camp, outside the gate. We used to sing that old hymn, didn't we? There is a green hill far away outside a city wall. Because Jesus was crucified outside of the city. And, and, and there all our uncleanness was placed upon him. And, and by coming to him outside of the religion that's rejected Jesus, we are made clean. We are made clean. But we bear his reproach. Now, you can, you can hear what I'm saying now. What is apostasy? We come to the definition of that word apostasy. It's when the church has come to the stage where it rejects Jesus as the message, as the one that we need to be focused on. And it preaches anything else, some sort of works trip or, you know, list of rules and regulations or keys to blessing and breakthrough and all that sort of thing. But Jesus is no longer in there. Like we see in the book of um, Revelation in the church at Laodicea, he's outside the church knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and fellowship with him. And, and so John was preaching in the wilderness because God was not in that temple. This is where God was, where Jesus is being uplifted and, and glorified. Amen. So we come to the second part of the passage, which we'll just uh, wrap up very quickly. The next day, because now we're coming to the message, okay? The message that John preached. The next day, Jesus, sorry, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water, and John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained on him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending, and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. John knew who he was. The Pharisees didn't know who he was. John knew who he was. I'm the one that's been sent to prepare the way. But he, he didn't know who he was until he came. And when he baptized him, God said that when you see the Holy Spirit coming upon him, that's the one. He said, this is the one that he came after me, but actually he was before me. He knew what he was talking about. Jesus was born six months after John, you remember? But John knew that he was in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. He knew this is the one, the Son of God, who is the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. So what did he cry? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Apostle has already explained that the Word is God. He was God, that all things were made by him and he became flesh 
and dwelt amongst us. Now he's presented as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus didn't come to be just a teacher to us, to teach us how to live or to even to be a moral example to us. He came into this world as the Lamb of God to deal with the root problem of all our problems, sin. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Pharisees wanted a king or a deliverer, but they didn't know they needed a lamb. That's what we all need. We all need the lamb who will take away our sins, who will bring us back to God, reconcile us to him. The image of the sacrificial lamb is represented many times, as we know, in the Old Testament. He is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Amen? (laughs) Even before God created this world, he knew there's going to be a problem that only I can fix through my son, the Lamb of God. And so he was foreordained to, to come into this world. You could say he was born to die. A lamb that will be slain for the sins of the world. He's the animal slain in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve fell, the first thing they knew was they were naked, they needed to be covered. So an animal was slain and they were covered with his skin. And Jesus is represented in the animal that was slain, became the substitute for their sin. He is the Lamb of God. Sorry, he is the Lamb God would himself provide for Abraham as a substitute for Isaac. God will provide himself a lamb. God provided the lamb, our salvation. We don't have to devise a way or means of saving ourselves. We cannot do that. God has provided a lamb for us. He's the Passover lamb for Israel. Amen? When the children of Israel were in Egypt and the angel of judgment came over the lamb. The Jews were told to take a lamb, to slay it and to sprinkle the doorpost and the lintel of their house with the blood. And when I see the blood, I will pass over. Didn't examine where they were at spiritually or morally. Some of them were pretty desperate in their behavior. Some of them were still idol worshippers, but they obeyed. They took the lamb and they applied the blood. The lamb died in their place. There was no judgment for them. He's the lamb for the guilt offering and the Levitical sacrifices. Every time an Israelite sinned, he knew there was a way back to God through the lamb. Way for his sins to be covered. And he's the lamb led to the slaughter in Isaiah chapter 53. Each of these lambs fulfilled their role in death, indicating that Jesus would die for the sin of the whole world. When, when John said, behold the Lamb of God, people knew immediately he will die for the sin of the world. How amazing is that? Now, John uses a phrase here, he's the Lamb of God who takes away, takes away. The sense of the original word there 
combines the word to bear. In other words, he would take my sin away from me. He would take your sin away from you so that you bear it no more. He will bear it in your place. But also, he will take it away and deal with it so that it's finished, it's done. You will see of it, you will hear of it no more. Amen? God, that's why God says, you know, um, your, your, your sins and your lawless deeds, I will remember no more. They're buried in the depths of the sea. They're nailed to the cross. Whatever way you want to look at it, he's taken them away and God has dealt with the sin question. That's why it's so wrong for Christians and the church to constantly be focused on sin. That is just the devil's trap. God wants us to be focused on righteousness. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. The sin question has been dealt with. Notice that John says also, not the sins of the world, but the sin, the sin of the world. As if the whole mass of human sin throughout all ages was collected into one place, uh, into one rather, and placed on Jesus. You think about that. Every sin that has ever been committed, the so-called respectful sins, the self-righteousness, which is an abomination to God, or the self-righteousness, the worst kinds of sin and crime that humanity has ever committed that we don't even want to talk about here, the worst things that man has done, everything in every generation since the beginning of time until time ends. God took the whole lot in one mass and laid it upon his son. That's why Paul says, he who knew no sin was made to be sin. He became sin on the cross and it was dealt with and judged by the wrath of God. Wow, that's powerful. The sin of the world, the sacrifice of the Lamb of God has the capacity to forgive every sin ever committed and cleanse every sinner. It is big enough for the entire human race throughout all history. If somebody's listening today or watching today and they're struggling with guilt and condemnation, I don't know what it is you've done, but I know this, that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. There is not a sin. You know, where sin abounds, his grace abounds much more. God took it all, all of it in one lot, placed it upon his son, and it's dealt with. But here's the closing thought. Jesus took something away, but he didn't just take something from us, our sins, but he also gave us something or someone, the Holy Spirit. This is he who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Wow. We cannot cleanse ourselves and we cannot live the Christian life by our own strength. So Jesus cleanses us. We cannot cleanse ourselves. You cannot cleanse yourself by repenting or confessing or doing deeds or anything. He cleanses you. He's the Lamb of God who takes away your sin. But you cannot live this Christian life. The only person that can live the Christian life is Jesus. And God baptizes us in the Holy Spirit and, and empowers us with the divine nature, so that we can say, as we've been singing today, yet not I, but Christ in me. I can't. You never said I could, but you can. You always said you would. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And when you were 
filled with the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit came to live inside you to bring the very life of Jesus to you, he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. There's not a thing that you or I can, can ever encounter that will be too great for us because it's his life in us. Amen. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us to empower us. So what a, what a, what a great example and, and, and lesson John the Baptist is to us. First of all, he teaches us, I'm not the, I'm not the message. It doesn't matter whether I'm accepted or rejected. When you witness to someone, whether you're accepted or rejected, it's not you that's been accepted or rejected. It's the message you bring is Jesus. Any preacher that's listening here, it doesn't matter whether you, you, you've got a big reputation or no reputation, whether everyone knows about you or nobody knows about you. It's not about you. I am not the Messiah. Amen? I am a voice, though, for the Messiah. I am a voice for the Word to come into this world. I am a lamp for the light to shine. Amen? And I realize that that might mean that that's a voice in the wilderness, that religion itself will not accept this word because it's contrary to every form of, Christian, uh, of religion, even within Christianity. When re uh, Christianity becomes a religion, it's about you, what you do, it's a religion. And, and, and so Christ has no place in, in that organized religion. So you may be a voice in the wilderness, but you're a voice for Jesus. And when, when you are silenced, when your, your life expires, what you have shared will go on and live for every generation. It will be passed down to every generation. You can light someone up with Jesus and the fact that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Then your life has reached its greatest purpose to know Christ and to make him known. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for John the Baptist who was so selfless, who, Lord, wanted to divide, not only divert the attention away from himself, but to Jesus, always lifting up Jesus. And Lord, I pray that we will walk with that humility, that we will never be concerned about how we are received or how well we are known. But Lord, we'll just continue to preach the most glorious message. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Bless each one of us, Lord, as we do that this week. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Amen.